everybody. Welcome to The Common Good. I'm Patricia Duff. And tonight we are celebrating great American women through our history. But before we introduce our special guests, I want to acknowledge some women who are in our audience who have dedicated their time, their philanthropy, and their hard work to help women and all people. All of them have done enormous work for the country and on behalf of women. Women like Kay Koplovitz, the incredible founder of the USA Networks, who helps women entrepreneurs capitalize their businesses. Our former first lady of New York, Silda Wall Spitzer, who is working on a film about one of the, our great women leaders. Ellen Chesler, who wrote a book about a tremendous woman activist, Margaret Sanger, and has always worked on, on behalf of women. Sybil Shanewald, an attorney who fought in the highest courts in the United States for the rights of women. Sally Menard, a successful businesswoman who has elected, helped elect good leaders and build the beautiful monument and park dedicated to the four freedoms espoused by President FDR. Marsha Dickstein Sadolsky, who has helped build a major pact dedicated to electing talented and deserving women across the country. Claudine Baker, who chaired and helped create a monument of the private home of one of America's most beloved first ladies and leaders, Eleanor Roosevelt and other activists, Robin Hubbard, Carla Singer, Freddie Friedman, Morley Klausner, Nancy Collins, Francesca Kress, Marilyn Typen, and a few of our men on the call as well, James, Bill Hubbard, Gerald, your hearts have always been in the right place to expand the rights of all people and especially women. So thank you all for being here today. So today we're witnessing a threat, not just to peace, but to democracy, the inhumane and horrific war on Ukraine. The Common Good tries to provide conversations like the one today to remind, to debate, to cajole our community and beyond about what is at stake and why we must all do our part to keep our democracy here and abroad. We can never take our democracy for granted. And that is why we are so honored to highlight the establishment of the Smithsonian American Women's History Museum and those who are breathing it to life. We're going to have in, a, in a, a little bit later, but I'm going to introduce her right now, a Congresswoman Carolyn Maloney, our own New York Congresswoman, who's had many important legislative accomplishments and among other duties is the first woman to chair the Joint Economic Committee that examines and addresses the nation's most pressing economic issues. She's also the chairwoman of the House Committee on Oversight and Reform. But Congresswoman Maloney has led the effort in Congress to create a museum dedicated to the contributions that women have made throughout the history of the United States, an effort that we at the Common Good have supported and you have supported um, for many years already. And we're so pleased to meet the woman who is the interim director of the Smithsonian American Women's History Museum and the director of the Smithsonian Asian Pacific American Center. Prior to this, um, it's Lisa Sasaki. She was director of the Audience and Civic Engagement Center at the Oakland Museum of California and director of program development at the Japanese American National Museum. Lisa, we are thrilled to have you. Thank you and, and, and welcome. And to help lead the conversation, I'm really happy to have a good friend, a dear friend, Gillian Sorensen, and she is a powerhouse herself. She served as Assistant Secretary General for External Relations at the United Nations. She was Special Advisor there for Public Policy and later as National Advocate for the UN Foundation. She worked closely with three Secretaries General, 
with diplomats from 193 countries, including 10 US ambassadors to the UN and with 4,000 non-governmental organizations accredited to the UN. She really continues to inspire and support on matters of peace, human rights, and refugee relief. Gillian, I thank you so much for joining us. And now it's my pleasure to pass the conversation over to you. Well, thank you, Pat, and hello, everybody. It's um, really a pleasure to be together and on, on this particular subject, which is very meaningful to all of us, I think. Uh, we all know the Smithsonian Museum, but I wonder if everyone realizes that it is actually the largest museum in the world. 17 museums and galleries involving uh, research and art and design and history and culture and science and nature and travel programs, lectures, a magazine and online events of all kinds. It's truly a remarkable institution. And it even has the National Zoo and the Air and Space Museum. But what it has not had over these many years is a museum of American women. And it seems that at long last, we are going to, to have that. So it's very special to have here the leader um, uh, of this effort within the museum world, and that is Lisa Sasaki. And Lisa, if I may put this question to you, uh, tell us, please, where are we now with the museum plan after all of these decades? Uh, do you have the land for it? Do you have an architecture, architect and a plan for it? And what can we look forward to? Well, thank you so much, Gillian, and thank you so much for having me here. Um, is that me? Okay, I think we're good. Um, what I wanted to do is just uh, wish everybody a, a happy Women's History Month. I think that this is amazing to be able to tell you all about this exciting effort that we have underway at the Smithsonian um, during this month. Um, and to answer the questions that were posed to me, I, I think one of the things that many people aren't aware of is exactly what it takes in order to create a national museum, especially one that's part of the Smithsonian. Um, and what I always like to acknowledge is that it, it can take decades of work um, and it also takes three acts of Congress. Um, the first act is um, Congress comes forward to convene an independent commission that looks at the feasibility of a national museum, especially on the National Mall and part of the Smithsonian. The second act is enabling legislation that um, directs the Smithsonian to create that institution. Um, and then finally, the appropriations in order to be able to help um, fund the museum going forward uh, and to ensure uh, that the construction and staffing and all of the other programming uh, can occur. So where we are in the process today um, is that we are so incredibly grateful um, to the work of Congresswoman Maloney, who has helped ensure uh, that we've gone through this process and now have in hand as of December 2020, uh, enabling legislation that directs the Smithsonian um, to create the Smithsonian American Women's History Museum. Um, in March of 2021, Secretary Lonnie Bunch asked me to step in to serve as interim director uh, because we are doing right now and we are conducting a national search for the permanent founding director of the institution. So I was incredibly honored um, to be asked to serve in this capacity. And as a result of that, I've been helping the Smithsonian um, do the first initial steps as outlined in the legislation 
Um, one of those is to create our advisory council. This particular group of men and women are um, put together in order to help us through um, this period of time where we're building the museum. And so um, we have 25 members of that council who are coming together. In fact, they'll be joining me here in Washington, DC on March 30th for our first in-person meeting. Um, we've met a couple of times virtually, but very excited uh, to be uh, meeting all of them, many of them for the first time uh, during this upcoming meeting. Another thing that's happening is site selection. Um, so Gillian had asked about, do we have a location yet? Uh, the answer to that is that we are in the process of searching for one. Um, the legislation outlines that the museum must be located on or near the National Mall. Um, and uh, for those of you who know Washington, D.C., you'll know that there's sadly not very many spaces left available um, on the National Mall itself. In fact, there's only two open parcels of land um, where a building such as a museum can be built. Um, there's also existing buildings that could be reused um, or demolished in order for a museum um, to be put in its place. All of those considerations, whether it's a new build, whether it's a reuse, um, takes a tremendous amount of examination prior to doing that. We want to be, to be sure that we are not um, disturbing the environment, for example, uh, that we are above the floodplain um, in Washington, D.C. Uh, we don't want to have the collections that will be in the museum in the future be endangered um, if there should be any environmental impacts there. Uh, we also want to ensure that if we are going into a pre-existing building, um, that all proper consideration has been paid uh, to the historic structure or the historic nature of those particular buildings. Um, we're also keeping visitors in mind. We know that they need things like for the museum to be close to transportation, to, for there to be outdoor spaces that they can enjoy, um, that there's food opportunities so that they're not starving um, after they've had a visit to the museum. So these are things that uh, we're, that's all going into the calculation. Um, we have an architecture and engineering firm, Air St. Gross, who's currently working with us and analyzing those locations for us. Um, and we will, by the end of this calendar year, be presenting to the Board of Regents um, so that they can make the selection on the final sites for both the Smithsonian American Women's History Museum and because building one muse national museum isn't enough, we also are being asked to build uh, the National Museum of the American Latino, um, which was also authorized during that same um, bill. So what we're going to be doing over the next period of time is building both of those museums. So we're looking at, uh, at locating both sites um, through this process. That is a tall. That is yes. a tall order. Can you tell us why did it take so long to get to this point? And is there any way now that it can be put on a fast track? So, um, you know, it does take a, a while to be able to get through this. And, you know, as Congresswoman Maloney will say, she's been working on the legislation for close to 20 years, if not longer. Um, and so now that we have that uh, authorizing document in hand, we can move very quickly. But what I do warn people about is that it may take, um, right now we're estimating between 10 to 12 years um, from this moment in order for us to open to the public. Um, when people go, oh, Lisa, that's so long. I wanna be able to visit next year or the year after. Um, what I like to remind people of is what um, Secretary Lonnie Bunch has said, 
uh, which he should know as the founding director for the National Museum of African American History and Culture, uh, is that we are actually constructing and building a museum that's going to be around as long as there is an America. Um, so that's something we don't want to really rush. We want to be sure that we're doing it um, right um, and thoroughly. And unfortunately, that does take a little bit of time. So I do wish that we could, we could go through the process a little bit faster. But when you think about the other stages that we have left in front of us, so we still need to do pre-design, um, design, and then construction. And if you can imagine that it, each of those um, would take anywhere between a year to four years, that's where we start to add those up. And, and will we be able to see some exhibitions on this subject, on women's issues, in the interim? Yes, 100%. And in fact, that's something I'm glad you asked that question because oftentimes people get so focused on the, the physical build itself, they mm -hmm. forget that we're currently in a digital age where now because of technology, we're able to reach out to people across the United States, classrooms, communities, um, through our digital aspects. Um, so whether that is uh, public programming, um, whether it's convenings, those are all things that we're going to be doing. I should also mention that the Smithsonian currently has an American Women's History Initiative occurring, um, and they've already produced our first exhibition. So Girlhood, It's Complicated, uh, is currently on view at the National Museum of American History. You're welcome to come and see that there. It's also going to be traveling for the next five years, um, so it's sure to go to a community uh, near Maine. Great. Um, and how will the content of the museum be decided? Who makes those decisions? That's a, a very good question. Um, one of the things that we I like to let people know about is that we are going to be hiring a, an incredible team of curators um, for the museum uh, in the near future. Uh, these curators are going to be the people who will be looking at not only the content of the museum, but more importantly, the collections and the stories that we still need to record um, and gather as a part of this process. Um, so we're really excited to get to that phase where we can have the curators, um, many of whom are going to be experts in their field um, who have studied women's history for significant amounts of time to be able to determine um, what's going to be shown to the public. Well, this is very exciting. Um, are there any surprises in your background study of who will be featured, any women that we might not be thinking of who in fact deserve a place in the museum? Oh, um, there are so many women that I could name. In fact, um, I was just marveling at, at Pat's introduction of everybody uh, because I would say that those are the stories um, that we want to have um, part of this museum. Uh, that yes, we are expecting to have uh, familiar names of women um, that you would expect who were the first uh, to accomplish something um, or help to break through that glass ceiling. But I think more importantly, we also want to be able to shine a light on women who occupy um, different in, 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 uh, positions in different industries, um, who have uh, you know, made advances in, in many different areas, uh, you know, across the United States, so that we're able to talk about them um, on, on a lot of different fronts. So um, I don't want to be accused of playing favorites uh, when it comes to stories. So I'll just leave it at that. And if there's any additional okay. questions, I'm sure to, to be able to answer that. Okay. Uh, Patricia, is, is the Congresswoman with us? 
Is she here? Carolyn Maloney? I don't hear I you. Don't, I, I don't think she is here yet. She's not. All right, yeah. well, let's, let's proceed with, with uh, Lisa. Um, so uh, what have you found to be most challenging in this year as you're trying to put these pieces together and make it happen? Are you getting the political support you need and the financial support? Is it really coming together this time? Well, I think what it is, is that, um, you know, part of this is starting this bill during a period of time when we have COVID. Um, so that, I think, has been a particular challenge, as it has been, I think, across the United States, um, which means that we, we've been having to do a lot of things um, virtually um, and haven't really been able to, I think, interact with everybody that we would want to as a part of this process. So that's one of the reasons I'm really grateful for this opportunity, for example, to be able to talk with people about what we're doing because so much of, uh, of what has been happening has been happening behind the scenes in, in a large part due to, uh, to what's happening out in the world with, with COVID. Um, mm -hmm. With support, I will say that we have a bipartisan council and we have support um, that is really you know, across the board. And that's something that I think we are going to continue to encourage um, that we're very excited to have. Um, we recognize that regardless of what um, your ideologies might be, what your backgrounds might be, that the need to be able to look at women's history, to tell women's stories, cuts through all of that. Um, and the commission um, that was convened, for example, is a great example of that. We had a group of seven women who were brought together specifically to look at um, the need for a women's history museum. Um, and together, regardless of what party they were, uh, have really said that this is a place um, that was desperately needed. Um, and I think we're going to, to move forward with that. Uh, when it comes to the, the financial support, we still are hoping for uh, you know, the opportunity to be able to, um, to, to receive both public and private funding for this. Um, and I think that the initial phases, we, we now know, of course, today that we have uh, an FY22 budget and there is funding in there um, for the uh, inaugural staff for the museum. So very grateful for that support. Um, we also have already... Um, several foundations and very generous donors um, who are coming forward and providing initial gifts, which is, is really wonderful. Oh, look, we're in luck, Gillian. We've got uh, Carolyn in the room too, uh, Lisa. Right. So is we should bring her in. Yes. Hello, Congresswoman Maloney. Are you there? I don't, I don't hear her. Taylor, do you, is she in the room? Do you want to spotlight both of them, please? And we'll maybe, I don't see her myself, so I'm counting yeah, on her. You know what, it may be her, it may be her staff person who's setting up. Okay. We do, we, and we are getting some questions on the, on the chat wall too. And I, I, I encourage everybody to raise your hand if you do have a question um, for Carolyn when, she comes in or for Lisa Sasaki. Well, Lisa, um, let me ask you this. Uh, for those of us from the outside, um, are there ways you can suggest that we can be of help? Yes, well, I think first of all, just um, being able to spread the word uh, that this museum is happening, I think is, is a huge first step. 
um, you know, many people weren't weren't fully aware that the, the legislation was passed. Um, through that awareness, I think over the next several years, we will be reaching out to people um, with opportunities to help, uh, whether that is to do things like this, talk about the museum, talking about the stories uh, that we're going to be presenting. Um, of course, we always welcome donations. Um, if you have are in the place where you're able to uh, provide a donation or a gift um, to the museum, um, and then finally, we do have a really great uh, source online. If you go to womenshistory.si.edu, um, what you'll see there is a, a plethora of resources and stories about women. And I really uh, encourage you to be able to explore that um, and see if uh, you know, that inspires a particular thought. We're always looking for partners and opportunities to collaborate, especially out within the communities um, that we're going to be serving across the United States. So um, for those of you on the call, if you happen to have a particular idea, um, please feel free to reach out. We would love to be able um, to have that discussion with you um, with, with a small um, caveat on there that we are still building our staff. Um, so with our limited staff, uh, we will definitely try to get back to you as quickly as possible um, and then hopefully plan for something uh, in the near future. Uh, we, we see that. I'm sorry. Uh, we, go, go ahead, Gillian. All right. We, we see that the, the dispute about abortion is getting very intense and divisive and, of course, political. Um, is there a way to proceed on this with this museum and address that issue, including the controversy around it, uh, without creating still more uh, uh, combat? Um, it's, it, it is a matter of history and American life, so that's a tough one. Um, it is a tough one, but I can I can honestly say that one of the things that um, we are very much dedicated at, at the Smithsonian, and this is something that Secretary Bunch um, is very adamant about, um, is that the Smithsonian not shy away uh, from difficult conversations and difficult yeah. discussions. Um, that is not to say, and I just, just to be clear, it's not to say that a, a, a position is going to be presented, but rather much like this forum, um, and the common good, we want to ensure that there is discussion and, um, and debate and dialogue between people who might have different views around these topics. Um, and that, yes, we can, as the Smithsonian, provide historical context um, on, on what has been happening sometimes, um, which may change people's perspectives, it may open them up. Uh, to other ideas and other ways of thinking, um, and that the Smithsonian's um, American Women's History Museum really should be seen as a forum, as a place to have these types of discussions. And in addition to um, areas around abortion, you know, we have a lot of other topics that I think as a nation we will need to wrestle with. Um, the question of gender um, and transgender rights is also another big discussion um, I think that we have on our horizon, um, violence against women. Uh, these are all really important topics um, that we need to, to be able to discuss. That's Thanks. such an important topic and such an important question, Gillian and uh, Lisa, thank you so much for that. Um, so how, how will the, if I just may interject, how will the um, museum handle those kinds of issues? Um, I think where we always want to start from is a moment of scholarship, um, exactly as 
Gillian had said, we really want to inform people around the history of and the context around this, which I think oftentimes gets lost, um, especially when discussions are heated, um, that, that that context is lost. And I think one of the things that the Smithsonian does an excellent job on doing is helping to provide that context. Um, the other thing that the Smithsonian does is, um, and that we can do is be a convener to bring people who are experts within these areas, um, who might have differing opinions or, or, or different differing points of view that they need to be able to bring into this forum um, to present. Did that answer your question? I think that's one, to me, it's one of the most important questions and, and uh, it's, such a, it's such an interesting answer. It sounds like you are really going to try to address these very important and, and fundamental fundamentally and potentially controversial questions uh, in, a, in a very fair way. So that's terrific. I didn't mean to interrupt you, Gillian, but that is such a good question. I was so yeah. wanted to hear the answer to that. It's a tough one. If we can have civil discourse on that very emotional issue, um, that'll, that will be great. Um, <clears throat> so, um, Lucy, what, talk a little about why you think it's important to have this museum now. Um, here we are, 250 years into our American history. Uh, will it change people's views? Will it educate young women or young men, men and women, I should say? What, what do you want the outcome to be? Um, what I would love the outcome to be is the chance and the opportunity to have everybody realize that women's history is American history, period. Um, right. And that is incredibly important. When you think about the representation of women within um, museums overall and on the National Mall, you realize that although we're 51% of the population right now, um, we are not having an equal share of the representation. Um, and I think one of the things that is, is foundational to this museum is that only speaking to, to other women is not going to be able to, um, to address all of the needs that are out there. We do need to be able to, to talk with men and women um, yes. across children of all ages um, and all genders in order to be able to ensure that this happens. So this is something that um, I think we're really very dedicated to. And to be honest, I think this is the perfect time for this type of museum because technology um, has met us at a place where we can tell so many more stories in such interesting and impactful ways that we might not have been able to do in the past. Um, Which is, oh, we've got Congresswoman Maloney. Terrific, yes. there she is in the flesh, sort of. Oh, great. <laughs> We're so happy to see you in between votes, I imagine. Yes, and I'm so glad uh, to see you, Patricia, and to publicly thank you and the common good for all the work that you did to make this happen. This was not an easy thing to happen. When I first started on this journey roughly 20 years ago, I thought that'll be like a cup of coffee. We'll be able to do it very easily. Uh, but there was a lot of opposition, even though we're half the population and have been underrepresented uh, to a great deal. We did a study once that out of the over 200 statues in the US Capitol, only 13 depict women. Out of 2,500 national history landmarks across the country, only 5% are, are dedicated to women's uh, accomplishments. 
And in one study of 18 history books, only 10% of the material documented the contributions of women. And, and very brief, briefly, I was walking around the mall trying to figure out, uh, Gillian, you'll understand this as having worked at the United Nations, uh, uh, how I could do a little confidence building with the Republicans. What could we work on together that would build confidence, that would lead them to support the ERA? And I, I was just walking around the mall. I started making a list of all the museums. You have space, you have agriculture, you have stamps, you have law and order, you, you name it, it's there. And I started asking, where are the women? Where are the women? They gotta be someplace. I walked all the way around the mall. I couldn't believe it. There wasn't one dedicated to the achievements of, of half the population of our country. So I said, let's, let's kind of try to correct that. It speaks to the values of this uh, country of ours. And I put a group of people together to support it, such as Patricia Duff. We had to pass a bill that created an advisory committee that came back with many of the common good members on it. They recommended that uh, the, the, the museum be built in a bipartisan way. And, and uh, the rest is history. But the new history is, uh, uh, that that it is uh, that we got 7.5 million in the budget. I don't know if Lisa knows that uh, that we just passed the omnibus bu budget for the Women's Museum, and uh, she is working now to find a site. Uh, I am telling her I am adamant that it's got to be on the mall. They say there's a beautiful wooded area. There's another park. I think the mall is where the values of our country are, and the women have been there solidly with the men from the day one creating this wonderful country. And too often our, our stories are like uh, quicksand or like uh, sand and a wave comes in and takes it away. And we need to have a place where we can have the history, the research and inspire the young men and women in the future about this happening. And it is Women's History Month. And I wanted to really update the common good since uh, uh, Patricia was good enough to have two or three she would mention them at her meetings and, and the need to support it and actually dedicated uh, two of her forums to the creation of it and help build the momentum uh, to make it happen. So I just wanna listen to uh, Lisa give us an update. She's an academic and a, a professional at the Smithsonian. And, uh, and uh, I just wanna hear her, her update and hear what my next assignment is to help make it happen, to push it forward. And I just wanna thank you, Patricia Duff, for bringing us together, uh, raising awareness like only you can do, building coalitions to make great things happen. Uh, I'm excited about this museum. I wish I had one like that when I was a young girl to learn from. I, I just wanna share this story. Uh, we, we're always trying to get women in STEM and in uh, areas that they don't really perform that well in. And I was thinking, and we put all this money into uh, encouraging them to go into the sciences and mathematics. And I can't think of a greater way to encourage them than to show the wonderful women scientists and, and academics that came uh, ahead of them to, with their great achievements. That's, that's probably the best way to inspire young women to say, yes, I can do that too. And, and for young men to learn about these accomplishments. So I wanna yield back to Patricia, Gillian and Lisa and Jasmine and just learn from this experience. And thank you, uh, Patricia, uh, for bringing us together yet again so lovely. Thank you. Uh, I yield thank back. you.
Thank you so much for all your hard work. Lisa's um, and, and Gillian have been uh, helping sort out some of the work that, that Lisa's doing so far. We do have some questions and I wanted to see if we could bring some of our um, people in the audience into the conversation. Gillian, do you have the, the some of the people who have questions there on your? No, I, it doesn't show on my screen. Okay, so I will, let's let's start with, we've got um, Sally Menard, who's a, been a leader in a lot of these issues for a long time. Sally, do you have a question? Well, I do, and, and Trisha, it's wonderful to see you, and it's wonderful to see my Congresswoman, Carolyn. I, I, I just know that for 16 years in a row, you introduced a bill just to get permission to have a commission. And when you finally got that vote, um, it was it was a yes, but you had to raise the money to support the commission. So it really shouldn't have been a big ask to Congress, but but it was. Anyway, so coming back to the site, which is so intriguing, Lisa mentioned before you got here that uh, there are two parcels on the mall, and I'm so curious to know where they are. Can you tell us? Um, I, I can mention, I, I can talk about those. They are listed in the legislation, enabling legislation. Um, so one is what we call um, the South Monument site. That is directly across the National Mall, um, directly across from it, um, from the National Museum of African American History and Culture. So there is a, a parcel of land there that's very near to the US Holocaust Museum. Um, so I think if you've ever gone down there for cherry blossom season, you might have had to walk by. It's a little bit of a triangular um, area that's there. Um, the other uh, site uh, we call the, um, the Northwest Capitol site, um, and that is currently where um, the Senate parking lot is. Mm -hmm. um, it is a very uh, generous bit of land that has a, a beautiful view to the Capitol, um, and those are the two locations uh, where We've currently identified where a, a new build could occur. Thank you, Lisa. It's so exciting to hear. Thank you. May I add to that? I've been told by the representative on the uh, the, uh, the 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 Latina Museum that the he's trying to change the language so that more sites can be seen. That's what he told me. He says there are more sites on the mall than the two that that you mentioned. Uh, I just have to respond to my my friend Sally Menard, with whom I've uh, worked on the ERA. You know, the the, uh, the, uh, the the senators don't want us to take their parking lot, and and I, you know, to me it's sort of uh, ridiculous that uh, you know, you know, fifty states, a hundred senators uh, think they're more important than all the women that ever existed in the history of the country and the roles that they played in all of our wars and all of our accomplishments. So they're not happy about uh, women taking their parking lots, but I think women and their values and what we've contributed is much more important than these parking lots. But I wish Lisa would respond. He's telling me he's getting the legislation changed so that other sites can be looked at. Could you update us on that? Um, you know, Congresswoman, I think what you might be referring to is um, there's a bit in the legislation that actually says that we are not allowed to build on um, what's called the reserve. Uh, these are parcels of land that are that are on the National Mall um, that have been basically placed into reserve and, and will take a, an act of Congress in order to be able to um, have something be built there. In the enabling legislation, um, there's a little bit of a contradictory moment there where it says that we are not allowed to build in the reserve. 
Um, but the reality is, is the same legislation also lists out two parcels of land that are in the reserve. So that's, that is one of the things that they're trying to address um, to ensure that we can at least look at those two parcels. For other parcels um, that are either in the reserve or on the National Mall, we also start to head into um, the, the jurisdiction of the National Park Service. Um, and so that will be something that if that legislation is changed, um, we can continue to have those discussions. Um, but you know, right now, those, those were the, the parcels that were identified. Thank you. Congresswoman, if I can add my, my thanks for your dedication, your leadership, and your tenacity on this issue, which really has been extraordinary, and also for your ability to work across the aisle and get both parties to come together uh, on this. Um, I see Kay Koplowitz has a, a question. Kay, can you speak up? Yes, thank you, Julia. Uh, I, I'm more uh, concerned about uh, sort of the finances behind it um, and, and how much has to be raised um, for the building of the uh, property. Uh, we maybe don't know what the total number is, but I was curious to learn if there was a sort of an endowment amount past the building, past the securing of you know, everything that has to go into building the museum do we have to uh, endow it for a certain period of time uh, past the building so that we ensure that it continues to operate? And that would be an interesting uh, piece of information to know. So, Kay, excellent questions um, there. Uh, when it comes to the cost of the total build, it, it is not an inexpensive <laughs> endeavor. Um, just to give you a figure, uh, the National um, Museum of African-American History and Culture, just for the build it's, uh, alone, that doesn't include staff or programming, um, was around $680 million. Um, our current estimations um, will be that whatever it is that we do will likely be um, significantly more expensive in, than that, in particular because costs have risen um, since that museum was created. And again, we know right now we're doing a lot of those estimations during the time of COVID, where I think all of you are probably aware that um, costs have skyrocketed as a result. So we are hoping um, that we are able to get a better figure once a site is identified because the costs vary widely. Um, between if it's a new build or um, to retrofit an existing building. But I, I give people that number to give an idea. To answer your second question, um, it is going to be incredibly important for uh, the Smithsonian um, to endow parts of the museum, whether that is um, for staff or for programs, in part because while we're incredibly grateful for the support of the federal government, um, we are also at a time in the Smithsonian where it doesn't cover 100% of the costs. Um, it does definitely ensure that we're able to remain free to the public and to offer um, many, the overwhelming majority of our programs for free. But unfortunately that cuts off a source of revenue um, that we could use to cover some of that um, gap. Um, so endowments um, and the draws off of endowments definitely helps us do that. And so I would say 100% um, for the future of the museum, um, we have to think beyond just the physical build to long-term maintenance, which does include endowments. I hope that answers your question, Kay. If I could add to it, in our original bill, we've met so much opposition that we basically said, we'll do it alone. Just let us be part of the Smithsonian. We'll raise all the money. 
And, and uh, the current chairman of the museum just said, Carolyn, that's not going to work. It's got to be 50-50, 50 private money, 50 public money. And a lot of what the museum is giving is the, the, the staff, such as Lisa and others that are already making collections and uh, studying and getting everything in shape. Uh, so uh, to me, I, I run into people all the time who say they want to give to the museum. I think once we started fundraising for it, we could raise the, very easily the private match. Uh, but but uh, there was a feeling that it had to be publicly funded also, like every other museum is. But women are used to doing uh, everything harder and backwards and doing somersaults more than anybody else. So we were, we were, we were willing to just go it alone and pay for the whole thing. Uh, but the way the bill is, it, it, it passed 50-50 with an estimated cost of 250 million from the federal government, 250 million raised privately for the construction. I yield back. Terry Weiner, I see you have a question. Yes, I do. Thank you. Yes. Um, to, uh, Lisa has already started talking about the comparison with the African American uh, Museum. And I know we've been talking how long it's going to take to get the Women's Museum up. Can you give us some idea how long it took for the African American? And also, I, I hope you've all been there. It is a marvelous, marvelous mm -hmm. museum. And many people have made do actual donations, not, not money donations, but things. And I'm wondering, is the plan to ask women to donate historic uh, artifacts that they might have to enhance the museum? It's a wonderful question. And I would say that it took 15 years. Um, if you look at, at the journey that the National Museum of African American History and Culture Oh, it isn't took. so different. That's That was the point I was, it's not like yeah. people are just holding the women down. It just exactly. really takes a long time. That's exactly so, it. It really just does take that amount of time um, in order to build a museum at this scope and scale. Um, and when it comes to, uh, to, to that, they created an amazing roadmap um, and playbook for this museum to be able to yeah. follow. And one of the things I'm excited about once we get to that phase is to, to do what um, Lonnie Bunch did as, as founding director um, and really be able to go out. He did what they called a treasures um, tour where he went out to communities and invited them to share their stories and um, potentially to offer up objects for the new museum. I'm thinking that we're going to be able to do something very similar. However, there is a caveat that I'm going to add in there. The Smithsonian has millions, tens of millions of objects um, that are currently already in its collections, many of which feature women and many of which, to be honest, we need to rediscover within our own collections. Uh, what, we're what we're figuring out is uh, that some of these collections are there, but the associated um, metadata, the ability to search in our collections to find them is not as great as we would like. So that's some of the additional work that we're going to be doing is making sure that what the Smithsonian already has can be shown to the public and to be celebrated. Thank you. Thank you. So Elizabeth Zubidoff, I see you have a question too. Can we hear from you? I do, and thank you. Um, so real quick question. Um, you mentioned about connecting with communities. And so it's not just going to be the physical space, even though that's extremely exciting stuff and a wonderful accomplishment, but it's also about 
making a difference, especially as, as you um, mentioned several times with younger folks. Um, talk to me a little bit about what's on the horizon for maybe taking some of these stories on the road or educational programs that maybe people can use in their own classrooms. Uh, Lisi, is that something that's already been discussed and, and how is that being rolled out? Yes, so um, a wonderful question. And I would say uh, referencing back again to the American Women's History Initiative, um, which was already created and has been underway for about four years now. So we are already producing educational resources and programs, and as I mentioned, exhibitions as well. Um, one thing, speaking of educating younger um, students and younger people, I just also wanted to give you a heads up um, that I believe next week, I think the 21st or 23rd, I can't remember, but for those of you who get USA Today, um, you will be seeing an insert all focused on women's history that's going to be a part of uh, that publication. Additional, uh, uh, additional copies, there we go, of that insert is going to be distributed to classrooms across the country in sort of celebration of Women's History uh, Month. And that insert has all sorts of activities highlighting stories um, that teachers can use in the, their classrooms. But I do think we are really excited to be able to do um, a lot of resource generation in partnership with teachers. We're very aware that they oftentimes know best how to be able to reach students within their classrooms. And we're hoping that we can partner with them to create those resources that they need. Thank you. Okay. Oh, I have one last questioner on my list. Bill Hubbard, can you speak? And then Congresswoman, I'd like to hear from you again. Um, hi, I had an observation and a, a question. The observation is that um, uh, in terms of money, I was reminded that the state of New York is considering spending a billion dollars to build a third stadium uh, for the <clears throat> National Football League in, <clears throat> in Buffalo to benefit, you know, 30 billionaires. And here we are trying to figure out uh, <clears throat> how to raise a few million dollars from the Congress. So I think the figure was seven million. Uh, it really is a, a symbol of upside down priorities. But uh, my question is, uh, has the architect been selected? And if so, who, who did the selecting and what kind of criteria did they use? Bill, we're not there to the selection of the, the architect quite yet. Um, so once we're able to identify a location, so that's the first step, um, then we go into a, a period of planning where we will put out a request for proposals from, from architects. Um, mm -hmm. And through that, we will have a selection, selection criteria and a committee that will be vetting um, those, those architects in order to make the final uh, determination. Um, it ultimately will come down to the secretary and the board of regents who will make the final decision on the architect. Okay. So keep, keep a, an eye and ear out. Um, the, that will be things that will be happening um, probably next year sometime. Thank you. And, uh, Congresswoman, would you like to wrap up? Well, I, I, I wasn't quite clear. Do you want uh, gifts now, Lisa, to the museum? 
I have two gifts that have come to my attention. One is a hat from Alice Paul's family, the author of the Equal Rights Amendment. The other is the, uh, I guess it's the magazine that was used uh, to kill Osama bin Laden. And apparently the key person who, who studied that, who will always be a mystery in the CIA, otherwise she'd probably be killed. Uh, it was given to her and I was told she wants to give it to the Women's Museum. The 9-11 Museum wants it, but it belongs to the Women's Museum, a very untraditional role of women to have plotted the attack on Osama bin Laden. It was that, it was Zero Dark, dark 30, the woman who did that. I have those two things. Would the museum want them? Um, the answer would be the Smithsonian would 100% want these items. And I think one of the things that we are doing is right now, we're not yet authorized as a museum to collect on behalf of the Smithsonian. However, we are working in partnership with the National Museum of American History, who has agreed um, to do the care of those collections uh, for objects that we would want to collect now versus waiting until we get that authorization from the Smithsonian. So I will definitely be following up with you, Congresswoman, so that we can start that process. Well, my, um, my question then is why don't we just go ahead and get the authorization from the Smithsonian for these things to start collecting? So I, I think that, that uh -huh. and, and I, I, uh, you know, I, I also, when do you expect to make the decision on the location of the museum? So um, I'll go ahead and answer that one first, which is the decision um, will be happening at the end of this year. Um, the regents will be making that decision. Um, at, uh, the deadline is December. So um, chances are very good that it'll, it'll happen in advance of December right now, according to our timelines. Uh, but that's the, the time that we have. Um, for getting the Smithsonian to authorize our collecting, it's a little bit more complicated. Um, we need to have collection store, a collection storage facility as well as staff. Um, so this is a, a matter of being able to ensure that those facilities are available um, as well as um, the staff um, there. So we're working on it. Um, and we can definitely um, be looking forward to that. But I think we have a really great opportunity with uh, the partnership with the National Museum of American History, who already have those facilities and uh, a staff already in place. We, we definitely don't want to miss any opportunities during this time period um, because the Smithsonian is set up to, uh, to take care of collections. And I didn't hear, I thought a very good question was asked by my friend, uh, uh, my one of my friends earlier when she asked uh, how long did it take for the African-American Museum I didn't hear the the answer to that I, I was told it took like a hundred years or something before it was first announced but seriously could you clarify I think that's a very good question uh, that was asked by Sherry Weiner earlier but I, I, I didn't hear your answer so the answer is it took 15 years of concerted effort years. For that 15 years however what you're referencing is is from the moment that the legislation occurred, dictating that that, that museum needed to be built, um, it was 100 years for that to take action. And from what I understand, the first legislation saying that there needed to be a national African-American museum um, was, was passed right after World War I. Um, and then, of course, it took until um, 2016 before the National Museum of African-American History and Culture open to the public. 
takes a long time. It takes, takes a, very a village long. to build and it takes a long time. So we're ahead of schedule, I guess. Uh, so all I can say is I want to thank uh, for the common good and Gillian and uh, Patricia and all of you uh, for coming together. You've inspired me I, with your questions today to work harder on this. And, and I think the museum is going to inspire an entire nation. It's long overdue. And it's long overdue and an important story to tell. And I'm, I'm so proud to be part of the team that's uh, working to make it help it happen. Uh, thank uh, all of you for being here, uh, Bill and Sonny and Marilyn. And I, that's about all that, that I see up there. But thank you for coming. And, and oh, Patricia, there you are. Thank you so much. And I look forward to seeing you all in person when I can get back to New York. Uh, you're doing a great job. Uh, you keep announcing all these wonderful forums. I can't go. I'm up here voting. So, but I, I always want to be there. So I finally got on one. And I, I just can't think of anything more important than recognizing the contributions of half our population. I think it can only help us achieve more. And uh, right now, we need uh, to compete with the best uh, talents of all of our citizens, including our women. No one should be held back. No one should be discriminated against. Everyone should be recognized for their capabilities. And I hope that this museum will inspire uh, people to achieve and give as much as they can to our country. I just want to share that earlier this morning, because I see a lot of friends, uh, Congress had a, had a session with uh, uh, President Zelensky from Ukraine. It was incredibly inspiring. He was a uh, Churchillian in his his call for unity and uh, purpose uh, for, for liberty and, and freedom. Uh, it was very, very inspiring. And they showed beautiful pictures of Kiev and now what has happened where it's all rubble. It is uh, really a, a challenge before us and, and uh, how hard it is to preserve what we have, to take care of what we have and really to uh, cherish it. Uh, so this museum is gonna be part of our culture, our nation and half our population. And it wouldn't have happened without the help of a lot of people that are on this call that were there working to make it happen when the support really wasn't there. Oh, I see Frederica Friedman, one of our great champions from the uh, women's, the Historical Museum of New York, which again had forums and support sessions uh, uh, for this. And, and uh, so many people are on the call that played a role in making it happen. Uh, thank you again for pulling us together. And I think we should do it every, every Women's History Month to make sure we're on schedule, hopefully ahead of schedule, and that this mu museum doesn't get pushed off the table and, and uh, out of the priorities of the nation. It, uh, the, our, our women deserve to be a priority of our nation. Uh, anyway, thank you all so much. Uh, seriously, you've played an important part um, all of you and raising awareness and, and uh, moving this project forward. Thank you so much. I yield Thank back. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Congresswoman. Thank you, Lisa Sasaki. Thank you, Gillian Sorensen. And thank you all for on this call because all the people on this call I know have had a great deal of uh, responsibility for helping push this. And I don't know how, how you got so much um, uh, so much tenacity to, to get this done, Carolyn. It's just amazing. So thank you. Thank you, Gillian, for doing this today. Thank you all. We've got a great uh, group of um, 
of events coming up on Gener Generation Z next week. We're going to discuss Ukraine with a terrific um, group on March 31st and on uh, hate and extremism on May 4th and things in between. But Carolyn, thank you so much for your hard work. It's just thank been you. amazing. Thank you.